0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker. I am an author, a speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And in reality, I just love having geeky conversations with people about new things. This week, we get to continue listening to a roundtable talk between Dr. Gruber and Rabbi Dr. Bejarano Gutierrez titled Complex Jewish and Christian Identities. Last week, we talked a little bit about Cypriot Jews in Spain. This week, we listen in on how that background influences Rabbi Bejarano Gutierrez's studies into the ancient and modern formation of Jewish identity If something like the Spanish Inquisition can have a huge impact on Jewish identity, then surely historic events like the loss of the Northern Kingdom of Israel or the destruction of the First Temple or the return of Jews to reestablish Jerusalem also had a strong impact on Jewish identity. In the Second Temple period, we have an interesting time in which Jewish identity is being formed along with this development of Christian identity. And all of this is happening within a Greco-Roman world. So it's a complex context. And I think we should start with the historic events that helped to shape Jewish identity.
1: One of the things that interested me at the Siegel College was Jewish identity in the Second Temple period, as you noted. And, and to be honest, one of the reasons I was interested in that was because I was exploring this issue of what does it mean to be a Jew? And, of course, the people that I was studying with, you know, they were from Orthodox backgrounds. Uh, there were some that were conservatives, some reform. I think one was from a Reconstructionist background. And all of them had sort of their understanding, whether it was halakha, or whether it was uh, min- Hagim customs, or, you know, maybe history, whatever it is that they put together, and coming from a crypto jewish background i sort of wanted to to take that idea or those ideas and and look at it from you know all different perspectives and so for me as i began to study i began to realize that of course judaism has always been in a an evolving state you know developing changing responding to persecution conditions economic circumstances and so forth and so what i did is i went back into the biblical period and i began to ask the question what, was, what were the links between what we would call the religion of Biblical Israel, or Israelite religion, and how do we get to a point where we recognize what today we would call, uh, you know, traditional Judaism or classical Judaism or rabbinic Judaism? And so what I did is I looked at biblical text and I looked at the uh, centrality of the uh, of the Beit migdash, the Temple in Jerusalem. I looked at the position of the king and, and the prophets and the scribes and so forth. And I began to to look at events like the the destruction of the first Temple. The Babylonian exile, the what, what most people talk about—the uh, the ten lost tribes and so forth—the destruction of the northern kingdom, and the the return of those individuals back into the land, and sort of the redefinition of what it meant to be an Israelite or what it meant to be Jewish, and began to trace what I felt to be the clear markers of of what we would consider today to be Jewish identity, and of course one of them was the importance of of the of the written text, the Torah. You know, in the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, we have a very strong delineation between those who had intermarried and those who had not. So now we have the question of, you know, the, the halakhic basis of Jewish identity. What is it, const- you know, who is truly a Jew? Is, is a person that is born of a non-Jewish mother, is that person a Jew? So we have, for the first time in the biblical text in Ezra and Nehemiah, we seem to have sort of a concrete answer, and that seems to be the basis for texts that come after that. And then I began to look at, at how the importance of the biblical text and how the reading and rereading and transmission of those texts created different interpretations of those texts. And so now the text, in many ways, even though the temple was was standing, it became equivalent to to the importance of the temple. Uh, so you have the korbanot, the sacrifices, but now people are, at some level, beginning to to hear the stories. You know, they're they're beginning to hear the cycle of the readings in some form or fashion. And now it's a question of, well, how do we live those readings out? How do we live those things out? And so then you have the emergence of, of different sects, right? Different groups that begin to, to interpret and then to live out as they understand. Because in their mind, they want to live out the what I would put in quotes, the true Israel. The, the identity of how they understood pre-exilic Israel or, or the Israel of the past. Because in, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to go back to this time in the past where they represent the true experience, the true meaning of the Jewish people, the Israelite people. And as we continue throughout the Second Temple period with the rise of the sects that we know, I think most Christians know, and, and Jews, the, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the community of Qumran, we begin to see a, a continuing development of that. And then from that point, we, we begin to see how important halakha, as, as understood by different groups, Jewish law, even when there's opposition between one sect and another, how important that is in this idea of, of Jewish identity. And I think that, you know, for somebody who's familiar with the New Testament, these ideas are still there. They may take a different perspective, or there there may even be conflict between different groups in the in the early Christian movement, but all those ideas are there, and they're, they're sort of in a in an early stage of development but you can see them beginning to to flower and and to develop. And and I think that if I can say that for me, you know the the Jewish experience in the first century and beyond, it's like you have to have an understanding of Christianity because there's a commonality there at some level and the the experience there is very porous. There's always an interaction that takes place. And so all those issues were part of the the interest that I had. And of course, if you if you trace it throughout history, uh, you can just sort of begin to draw a line of how those two communities interact and how they respond to each other.
0: And what happens when we bring Jesus into the conversation? Rabbi Dr. Bejarano Gutierrez wrote a book that is called Forgotten Origins, The Jewish History of Jesus and Early Christianity, and another book that is titled Judaizing Jesus, A Radical Jewish Approach to Christianity. That second book reviews a variety of historic perspectives on Jesus and Christianity. Now, if you are a part of the Israel Bible Center community, the idea of a Jewish Jesus and strong Jewish thought in the Greek New Testament is not new to you. So many of our courses deal with this and take a lot of time to pull out fascinating insights when you allow the Jewishness of Scripture to speak. But when we talk about identity formation, how does the emergence of Christianity, especially with the influence it had on Gentiles, affect Jewish identity?
1: Well, I think that for me, again, I I keep mentioning his name, Rabbi Byron Sherwin, who who passed away several years ago because he was such an impact on my life. I think that one of the ideas that he communicated to me was that he saw Christianity as, as a conundrum, like this you know, the sort of confusing uh, riddle of sorts. And on the one hand, he could appreciate um, what he really believed, I, I, I think, was the transformative element that this faith had had upon on Gentiles. They, they had come, they had abandoned paganism. And I think if you look at many of the examples that I provide in Judaizing Jesus, and, and in, a, in a future volume, I, I hope to sort of expand that, I think many rabbis realized that they weren't dealing with the same situation as they had maybe previously or, or previous generations had. There had been something markedly different where these people had adopted uh, the God of Israel in some form, and they were confronting a people that were adopting the, the Tanakh, the Hebrew scripture, and, again, in some form. and And they were confused because on the one hand, they saw this transformation, but on the other hand, they also saw supersessionism. They saw anti-Semitism, anti-Judaism. And so it was almost like uh, it's very confusing. How can these two things exist? How can we see, you know, even the Rambam talks about the knowledge of God being spread throughout the entire world through Christians and Muslims. And at the same time, we have these, you know, tragic persecutions and hatred and so forth. You know, the the converso experience, the crypto-Jewish experience, is a byproduct of that anti-Semitism, of that anti-Judaism. So how can we have these two things? How can it be transformative and yet we have these two issues, uh, the, the, the other aspect of it? And so for me, I think uh, what's important is we have an opportunity to, to understand uh, what are the elements that have to be reconsidered. I think that uh, in the post-Holocaust uh, 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 era, the uh, you know, post-Shoah, uh, many Christians have undertaken this consideration. There was a There was an article even this week that the Anglican Church, the Church of England, had done a study and that they had concluded that Christian anti-Semitism had played a very significant part, uh, you know, in the the tragedy of the 20th century. And I think that that reconsideration is is critically important. But at the same time, I think that uh, I think many Jews uh, also hopefully will be honest enough to look at uh, Christians on an individual basis at the very least and say, well, what is the commonality that we have? You know, if what do we share, and what do we have to to contribute to one another's understanding, so that we can perhaps, in our in our own way, uh, truly work toward tikkun olam, you know, the reestablishment of, of of true order and peace. And so, for me, that's sort of the issue that both sides, I think, have to reconsider—not just the Jewish elements, but also the, the the negative aspects, you know, the anti-Judaism. And sometimes, as as uncomfortable as it may be, maybe sometimes the anti uh, Christian or, or even anti-Gentile uh, perspectives that understandably so have sort of crept in, you know, so I think those are two, uh, two issues that I think are important to, to take away. I'll just mention that in the beginning of uh, Judaism, Jesus, that's, that's the latest work that I've released. I started off with just sort of personal stories of, of people that I had met. And I think that they were very positive because they sort of had the ability to, to look at things for themselves. They were very much aware of, of anti-Semitism, of personal bigotry that had been done against them. So they weren't in any sense uh, unaware of that. But I think that they could appreciate individual people, individual Christians. They could sort of idea, uh, identify with those individuals on a one-on-one basis where they could look at positive points. And so I, I took that, and that turned out to be very influential uh, in, in my own uh, theological development.
0: If you are really interested in the Jewish responses to Christianity throughout history, you will enjoy his book, Judaizing Jesus. Now, we started this episode with a statement that Judaism has always been in an evolving state, developing, changing, responding to persecution and economic circumstances. I personally am fascinated with what people use to form identity— The historical geographer in me cannot help but see the ways in which the land we live in shapes us. Some people move above the land, oblivious to its influence on our lives. Others are intimately aware of how tightly woven human life is to the land that supports us. But people shape our identity as well. The positions and roles we have in our families. The people we pull around us in friendship groups. And then, of course, there's religion, another identity shaper. So what happens when you're forced from your land and have to live somewhere else? And in modern terms, what happens when the nation you live in turns on you and either kills you or forces you out? What happens to your identity if you are forced to convert to another religion? Towards the end of this particular roundtable talk, Dr. Gruber raised an interesting question about how Jewish identity was formed for the Jews in Spain after the Inquisition, given the sometimes competing influence of religious and national identity.
1: Well, I think that many of them definitely saw themselves as distinct, uh, as a distinct people. Sometimes they would use the term uh, la nacion, the nation, or la raza, the the race. And you see these in in families that look for marriages between other families, even at times when the religious affiliation of that particular individual, Jewishly or, or not, is sort of in question. So it's almost, it's more important to maintain the link to who we are as a people and, and the, the customs and so forth are certainly part of that, but there's a sense that we have to maintain this, this, uh, this unity, if, if you will, this ethnic identity is, is uh, intertwined with religious belief. And so I think you see uh, among many conversos for descendants of uh, conversos in, in the New World, one of the characterizations uh, that comes up quite often is intermarriage they look for cousins, they look for other family members that they can connect with because those are acceptable families. And they may not necessarily have understood what that meant in all its different details, but I think they bear this kind of memory that you're you're distinct, and one way to preserve that is to look for others that are of a similar background. Um, if mm-hmm. I could, I wanted to mention one uh, quick uh, reference to something you said previously about how conversos sort of went back and forth. Uh, there's a... In- interesting story that I include in, in Secret Jews about, uh, his name is Pedro de la uh, Cabarilla, I believe if I remember correctly, and he had uh, converted to Christianity, and he had even written a book on uh, a theological defense of Christianity against Jewish, you know, uh, perspectives or, you know, counterattacks. and yet we find him participating in a Shabbat dinner reciting the Birkat Hamazon, the, the the Grace After Meals. And one of the individuals who is Jewish and is hosting this, this Shabbat dinner says, I don't understand, you know, you on the one hand, you're an important figure in the city, you're writing books against Judaism, and here you are, you know, reciting Birkat Hamazon and, and Semirot and things of this, this nature. And, and the individual basically says, you know, when I was a Jew, technically, I was very restricted in what I could do. Now that I'm a Jew, technically, uh, a Christian, technically, all the gates have been open for me, so if I want to observe Yom Kippur, if I want to, you know, recite but I'm free to do so, and who's going to tell me uh, otherwise? And I, and I thought that that it's it's sort of comical, but I think in some sense it it sort of reflects this very complicated uh, experience.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, and um, there's a book that came out uh, several years ago, I think, called The Mezuzah in the Madonna's Foot, and you also include this episode in your. Uh, in one of your books, do you want to just tell us briefly what that is? Because that's also a striking vignette of how um, traditions and identity were preserved and what it meant to be a crypto Jew. Sometimes,
1: well, the reference to the mezuzah the mezuzah and the Madonna's foot is the uh, you know the, the youth, the use of uh, Catholic paraphernalia, statuettes, and so forth, and uh, you know putting Jewish ritual objects, a mezuzah, in a place where you essentially honor. Catholic tradition or Catholic practice but secretly or the intent is to honor uh, Jewish practice or you know to honor uh, the status of the mezuzah. Uh, what I think is interesting in re- relation to that is that you find this fusion not just in practical terms like in that particular case but you have many crypto Jews that over time began to refer to Saint Moses and many of the of the patriarchs a- a- in the same way that they would refer to Saints within the Catholic tradition and and there's a there's not an exact understanding of when the the uh, the barriers uh, end, you know, the lines are drawn, it's like a mixing and it's, it's like, it's just sort of natural. It just becomes uh, one that's part of the other. And I, I think that's also part of that development.
0: This is only a tiny sampling of the roundtable talk called Complex Jewish and Christian Identities. If you want to go in depth on the subject, you will find a link to the whole conversation in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for being here today. If you want to join an online community that is taking a new look at the Bible, you are most welcome to join our community at IsraelBibleCenter.com. We have a huge collection of courses and you can combine them to earn a certificate in Jewish context and culture. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald from Mason Jar Music for doing an amazing job mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thank you for hanging out with me and being curious about all things Bible-related.